Welcome to the Battleground Wisconsin podcast. My name is Matt Brusky, and I'm the Deputy Director here at Citizen Action and welcome to another week from Wisconsin. We have our full panel such as it is now with Jennifer F. Sadison gone and that includes Jorna Taylor, political consultant here in Wisconsin. Jorna, welcome. Good morning. And as always, Robert Craig, our Executive Director here at Citizen Action. Morning, Robert. Uh, good morning, everyone. So we, as always, record this Thursday morning. And we are going to, of course, discuss the big news this week. And that was that this Wednesday, our governor, Governor Walker, stepped down from his presidential aspirations. And to join us to help talk about this is John Nichols. I think everybody knows John. John is a writer at The Nation and also the associate editor of The Capital Times. John, thanks for joining us. Total pleasure to be with you, all of you. So, John, we had you on because... Well, one, you obviously follow uh, Wisconsin politics and have followed Governor Walker's presidential campaign closely, but you also wrote an article this week that was a good summary of your analysis of Governor Walker's effort. And you basically came to the conclusion that the governor lost this because he really didn't have a message. He had nothing to say that was really resonating. Could you tell us a little bit more about your analysis? Sure. Uh, and I appreciate the question, because I think it's an important one at this point. We have a lot of spin going off, off this campaign. And you know, one of the things is that when you have failed miserably in politics, your goal is, as a final act, to convince people that you didn't fail miserably. And so the line that's been pushed out is that Scott Walker got out because of money, conveniently forgetting that his super PAC has millions and millions of dollars that can be spent to advance him. In addition, he has a pool of donors who could certainly be tapped one more time to at least pay the salaries and keep things going through the month of October to the next debate. The reason that Scott Walker's getting out isn't money. It is the realization that he is absolutely unable to get traction in this race because there's very, very little interest in what he's peddling. And the important thing to remember, now his acolytes and his amen corner will deny this with all their passion, but the important thing to remember is he started this race focused very clearly on his anti-union stances. At one turn after another, he repeated and came back to those anti-union stances. He even claimed that they qualified him to deal with the most difficult international challenges he raised the issues again and again and again, and then finally, in the final moments of his campaign just last week, he suggested that he had a bold new plan to bust unions nationally, and none of this worked. Somebody ought to pause, take a deep breath, and acknowledge Scott Walker tried to run for president of the United States as a union buster, and it didn't work. In fact, it failed miserably, even within the Republican Party. So, John, there were in the kind of during the final tailspin of his campaign, he released with great fanfare two different white papers. The first one was actually on health care, where he was the only one with a plan to abolish Obamacare and take away people's health care. And that went nowhere. It's important to remember, Robert, that was sort of within the Republican campaign this time, saying that you're against Obamacare, you know, is, is really a matter of gradation. Each of these candidates is going to say, oh, I'm passionately against Obamacare. I've got a different way to do it. Walker actually came up with a quote-unquote plan to abolish Obamacare that was so convoluted 
it got criticism both from supporters of Obamacare and from the harshest critics of Obamacare. And that was because it, it, it was no plan. It was just a, you know, kind of taping together of a whole bunch of different notions that ran through somebody's head one afternoon. And that really sums up the Walker campaign. When he did try to approach issues beyond his, you know, kind of Wisconsin story, the, the basic themes of why he said he was running, when he tried to approach all sorts of other issues, immigration, health care, foreign policy, war and peace, it was, time after time, a disaster. You show me one point at which Scott Walker, during this campaign, rolled out some new idea, rolled out some stance on an issue, where everybody stood up and said, wow, that's innovative, that's interesting, that's even credible. It didn't happen because Scott Walker went into this race presuming that the, the United States of America, or at least, at the very least, the Republican Party, was excited about what he had done in Wisconsin. He got exactly the wrong message out of Wisconsin. He did not realize, maybe he still does not realize, that there was a moment in Wisconsin where he did a sneak attack on organized labor. He got a lot of pushback. Then he called in the entire national right-wing funding infrastructure, as well as the right-wing media, AMN Corner, called it all into Wisconsin, mounted the really one of the most epic pushbacks from the elites, from our moneyed and media elites, and succeeded in seeing off an attempt to hold him to account. He thought that that was some sort of embrace of all of his policies. He didn't understand that it wasn't about that. He was, he was the face of an initiative by a lot of backroom dealmakers, corporate types, CEOs, billionaires, but he wasn't advocating for anything that the average Republican voter, let alone you know, the, broader, the broader sector of voters across the country, that the average Republican voter was going to get excited about. And that's why you know, his, his money corner and his media corner was able to run him up high, almost to front-runner status. But they couldn't maintain it because once he got that front-runner status, people were looking at him. And they said, okay, tell us what you're about. Tell us what you're going to do. And all he could do was tell old war stories from Wisconsin that they had heard a thousand times before. Well, John, this is Jorna. Thanks so much for joining us. Um, I think that it is, I don't know if ironic is quite the word I would use, but uh, interesting that the candidate who heard the call from God to run for president in the first place also uh, this week then decided that he was being called to lead by helping to clear the field in the week that the Pope also happens to be <laughs> in, in town. Um, but, you know, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't agree more. I, I really think that folks did take a look on the national stage and they were like, whoa, whoa there, buddy. You really kind of screwed up your, your own state and, and you've attacked working people and poor people. And, and I would have to think that the Pope wouldn't approve either. And, and his calling from God might be a little stronger than Scott Walker's. Um, and, but, you know, before, before we all dance on his grave and sing, you know, Ding Dong, the Witch is Dead, uh, you know, he did this in 2005 and when he was running for governor here in Wisconsin and then came back in 2010 and ran. So my question to you is, do you think that Scott Walker is dead in the water? No, I do not. And, and I think that's an important thing to understand. 
Scott Walker is a, a political careerist. He loves politics. This is what he has done. You know, if you read his own biographical materials, his own interviews, he's been kind of actively engaged in politics since his preteen years. So he's an obsessive, confirmed career politician. And this failed miserably, this campaign, because he didn't understand the dynamic of the year. This is a dynamic uh, this year on both sides that really seeks after outsiders. It seeks after people who, uh, you know, genuinely are at odds, whether we agree with why they're at odds or not, with our current politics. And, and so Walker was a terrible fit for this year. He, he knows that. I mean, that's one of the reasons why when he decided to drop out, he dropped out well before he had to drop out. It's the important thing to understand. And so his quitting of the race was a political move. And he quit the race when he still had you know, a reasonable amount of money around. You know, they're going to say, oh, yeah, it was, he was very tight. It's been very close, stuff like that. But he quit the race when he could have gone on. He got out because he couldn't see a way to go the rest of the way. He got out with a very bogus, you know, sort of, I'm trying to help the party. We're going to get all the reasonable candidates out so that we can, you know, unite against one or two opponents for Donald Trump. But in reality, even that was a positioning for future politics. The thing to understand about Scott Walker is he will now work very, very hard in Wisconsin to mend fences, to build his credibility, potentially for another run for governor, but probably not. Remember, one of the things that he wants to maintain is that open question of whether he might run again for governor. That his power extends from that. So he has to play that game. But the reality is, despite the fact that he says he wouldn't accept a cabinet post or something like that, the reality is he's looking upward. He's looking for some way to move up that political ladder, as he always has. Now, that could be a cabinet post. I know he says he's not going to accept a cabinet post, but that's sort of like when he was saying in 2014 that he really wasn't thinking of running for president. Uh, the reality is he will say what is convenient at the time and then change his position. And so watch for that. I think the next critical turning point for Scott Walker probably is 2017, when if there's a Republican president, he might well be looking at a cabinet post. But beyond that, if that route doesn't exist, don't presume that Scott Walker is gone politically. I doubt that very much. He damaged himself terribly in the 2016 cycle. I cannot see any way in which he would turn to be considered for vice president because he didn't go out because, uh, you know, he fought hard and, and didn't quite prevail. He went out because people really showed no interest in it. And so my sense is that he steps back, tries to shore things up in Wisconsin, but, and this is the concern, does try to, you know, buff his national conservative reputation. And so I would not rule out that you see some nasty initiatives, some troubling initiatives in Wisconsin where the fight has to go on. And, you know, that's one of the great tragedies of this whole thing. Scott Walker has used Wisconsin for the last three years as nothing more than a springboard into national politics. He has neglected the state. He has you know, spent as much time as he can out of the state. It, at every turn, he has been dismissive of and rejecting of this wonderful state. And now he comes back because he's got nowhere else to go, and he's going to tell us how much he loves us. Uh, I hope, you know, not just the people who have been longtime critics of the governor, 
but perhaps people who even supported him would be conscious of the fact that he isn't here because he wants to be here. He is here because nobody else, even in Iowa, would accept him. So you you started to talk a little bit about what you expect out of Governor Walker going forward. I'd like you to elaborate a little bit more on what you might expect, but more specifically, um, we something from more of a positive side. What What's your recommendation for progressives and Democrats in the legislature and here in Wisconsin that we ought to do going forward in anticipation of what we ought to be expecting from the governor and the legislature? And where what would be your message to progressives that we ought to be focusing on? What ought to be happening in the next, uh, say, 18 months to essentially deal with what we should expect from the governor? Sure. Well, let me begin by uh, offering a simple bit of counsel, which is don't get lost in disrespect or disregard for Scott Walker. Don't step into the fantasy that because his national initiative was a, a miserable failure, that somehow he's lost the ability to play politically in Wisconsin. And, and I think some people will fall into that trap. It's, it's a, that would be a dangerous one, because like it or not, Scott Walker has shown an ability to be politically viable and to at least keep himself above that 50% mark at elections in Wisconsin. Now, we know his approval rating is very, very low right now, but he'll work hard to bring it up. So that's that's first counsel as regards Scott Walker, is respect or at least understand him politically. Secondly, understand what his goals are now. That is to redeem himself politically, to get himself kind of up the ladder. So his style has been to pick a fight. And my suspicion is that he will probably, along the way, pick some kind of fight. I would expect it is in the area of education, and I would expect that it is a aggressive push for uh, what we would broadly refer to as privatization of public education, and that that comes under a whole sort of a whole range of different initiatives, different approaches. But the critical thing to understand is that there's a huge amount of money and a huge amount of traction nationally within the, the right wing in the area of education. And so if you step up as a real leader in that, fighting very, very hard, you're going to get a lot of support from outside Wisconsin, a lot of you know contributions, a lot of encouragement, a lot of very positive write-ups in, in that world of right wing media. And so I expect we're going to see something there. I could be, you know, missing something. There can be other initiatives. I don't doubt that there will be. And so that's my, my broad sense. Finally, the one thing I, I would counsel is that it is my view that Democrats in the legislature have often lacked focus. And they have not, you know, looked at the long-term challenges that they were in. They have tended to be responsive, uh, reflective, rather than forward-looking. If ever there was a time for Democrats in the legislature, and frankly, I would even suggest responsible Republicans in the legislature, to the extent that there are still a few, to be looking forward, to be you know, actually putting initiatives up and, and offering a strong alternative vision, this is it. Because if Scott Walker is allowed to define the debate in Wisconsin, if he's allowed to become the dominant figure in the discourse of Wisconsin once more, um, even if you don't like the guy, he will, you know, he'll be the center of gravity. 
And so I, I think that, that rather than simply thinking, you know, how would I oppose this or how, how do I oppose them on that, um, the more important thing is to have a clear alternative vision to effectively say, you know, look, Scott Walker, you're the path. You ran so many elements of the state into the ground. You divided and conquered briefly. But now when you went to the national stage, everybody saw what a mess that was. Now you've come back here. You want us to, to again, be your springboard. We're not going to be that anymore. We understand what has to be done for our state on health care, on education, on, on so many other standards, and frankly, on a renewal uh, of our economy. And so one place I might really put a lot of focus on is the shutting down of WEDIC and the replacing, uh, replacing of it with some sort of economic development agency that begins with the concept of creating living wage jobs rather than with the concept of doling money out to, you know, whatever corporation can come up with some sort of scheme to get a grant. John, I completely agree with you on that. In fact, we're going to put out at Citizen Action a plan on that today, so I guess great minds yeah, think alike. <laughs> uh, but I want to say, I know you have to catch a flight, that I agree with you entirely. I know Jerry Bader, the talk show host, is saying the same thing, that Walker needs a big ticket agenda item. I had thought it would be tax deform. Um, but it could be. but you could be I, absolutely right. You make a very good case for can it being education. Can I only offer you one council on tax reform? This yeah, I, state is really on a tightrope economically. Uh, the, the statistical data is not good. And so by many, many measures, if you really try to, again, cut taxes for the very, very wealthy, um, reduce revenues for the state, Walker's got a lot of challenge there. So while I suspect there may be some tax reform, and I don't doubt that, I, I, I certainly don't disagree, I do think that the the education policy one is that gets him a, a lot of sort of sort of bang for his buck politically. No, you make a great case for that, John. Well, John, we want to thank you for joining us and uh, taking some time to share your thoughts and uh, both your your analysis, but also looking forward. It, it, it's helpful, and and certainly there's a lot of opportunity now uh, going forward. We have a certainly a new dynamic. So uh, thanks a lot for taking the time to join us. I'm honored to talk to you, and I, and I do think that. Uh, it's important, you know, not just for progressives, not just for Democrats, to really pause and think about this moment. It is my sense that we have entered into uh, a very dynamic moment politically, and progressives, but also responsible conservatives, have an opportunity to step up and finally get beyond walkerism uh, toward a real debate about where this state ought to be headed. Again, thanks for joining us, uh, John. Yeah, have a good Total pleasure to be with you. Thank you. So, John obviously did a nice job of transitioning us to our next issue, and, and that is to discuss uh, the current state of our economy here in Wisconsin and WEDEC. Uh, but more broadly, the Senate Republicans are launching today, Thursday, an economic roadshow that is going to crisscross the state. I believe it's going to actually uh, hit five areas. And they're going to be taking input, public input. It's a public hearing. They want everybody to come yeah, on out by and invitation show only, uh, uh, what? What? Whoa, whoa, whoa. Hey, ho, oh, what? No, 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 no. This is a public hearing, right? No, unfortunately not. Uh, is invite only who will be speaking. And so your favorite uh, corporate CEOs and business leaders, I believe, will be on Pretty much on tap. Every day, Every, yeah. Wisconsinites. Every day, Wisconsinites. So, yeah, so the Republicans are on this roadshow, 
talking about what we should do for the economy and, and citizen action, we figured we'd take them up on their offer. And today, so again, yesterday, when you hear this, we will have released our agenda for what we think ought to happen going forward in order to increase economic opportunity. Robert, why don't you tell us a little bit more about what we're proposing? So this is on, just to clarify for our progressive friends who follow economic policy, this is on the economic development side. So you can call it the demand side. That is how we create new jobs. So this is not a plan about $15 minimum wage, paid sick leave, and family leave. Those are job quality issues we apply to current jobs in the state. Those are critical as well. Or investments in education, tech colleges, affordable universities. Those are all critical income tax credit. This is about economic development policy, so what WEDEC does to create more jobs. And, and our report will lay this out, but this isn't just a blip. We don't just have sluggish performance. I mean, we're in the midst of a dramatic economic decline. So in this state, uh, we have had our middle class shrink the most in the whole country. We're number one uh, since the year 2000. In the, in the recovery, in the, in the recession, we lost mostly middle class jobs. And we have uh, only had job gains in the very anemic recovery in low income poverty wage jobs. Nine of the 10 fastest growing classifications are poverty wage job classifications. So we have a huge job quality problem, right? So jobs that people don't make enough to pay for the basics, to make ends meet, they don't spend in their community, it perpetuates an economic spiral downwards. We have the worst African-American unemployment in the country. Again, we're number one. I mean, that's saying something, because African-American unemployment is horrendous across this country. Uh, we have double the Latino rate of African-American uh, unemployment as, as white unemployment. We have huge disparities between regions of the state. And when you go through all of this, the question is, what is the strategy? So what's shocking about WEDEC and the Republicans in control of the legislature and the business leaders of the state that want public subsidies is they have no plan. You could ask them specifically, what is your plan uh, to, to make sure that most of the jobs being created in the state are family-supporting jobs and stop this transition to a low-wage economy? There is no plan. What is your plan to deal with the fact that African Americans are four times more unemployed than whites? There is no plan. Is there a benchmark? Is there a goal? Are there policies connected to it? Nothing. There is no plan. So we're starting with the fact that there needs to be a plan, that we build the economy, that doling money out uh, to large corporations hoping for the best, it's sort of the trickle-down approach, or I would say it's the rain dance approach, uh, is getting us nowhere, and the economy is a human-made thing, and we are not making it in the public interest right now. And we should be winning this issue when we're not as progressives because we don't have a clear economic agenda, a clear economic strategy. We're not doing a very good job of pointing out that this isn't you know, bad management at WEDEC. This isn't like the wrong CEO at WEDEC. The whole enterprise is flawed. The whole idea that we just hand out money to large, well-connected corporations who are allowed to outsource, by the way, uh, and then that'll lead to good things for everyone else is, is absurd and discredited and fraudulent. Well, Robert, you mentioned that the economy is a human-made thing. I think it's a bit more like climate change, and I'm definitely in denial here in Wisconsin about all of this. Um, so, you know, thank you to Citizen Action for being leaders around um, WEDEC for basically years now, I guess, if we go back. Um, but I want to go back to these hearings for just a moment that are happening around the state um, because they are a bleeping sham. Can I say that on yes, the podcast? You, you just did. Okay. Mm -hmm. So so they're, they're an absolute sham. I mean, we watch time and time again how Republicans have 
shut the community out of the process. There's never been any public testimony. And oh, yeah, does everybody remember like a month ago when they tried to get rid of open records? I mean, huh? Yeah, this is all just so shocking. Um, when you look at the statements released by Senator LeMahieu, um, about these hearings, you know, they talk about the major improvements and how great Weedek's doing, but you know, there's there's been some challenges, and, and and we just we need to hear from people about these challenges that they're facing in their communities, which to me is their you know coded language for oh bleep. Uh, the public is actually waking up and noticing that this state agency, this quasi state agency, this. Um, this agency that is taking all of their taxpayer dollars and investing them very unwisely and wasting resources and not creating jobs that support working families is really screwing up. So here we're gonna we're gonna give you these public hearings across the state. It's kind of like joint finance, but even worse. Way worse. Joint finance, the public is allowed to speak. Kinda. At these <laughs> kinda. <laughs> At these hearings. They're just going to allow, again, invited testimony. We can expect these will be corporate CEOs, probably local elected officials from the areas. But regular people are not allowed to come and speak. They're only allowing you, they're encouraging you to send emails to the committee, right? Which, by the way, of course, if they were really serious about hearing public testimony, they would really allow public testimony and hear from folks on the front line who aren't just the CEOs, but they're not going to. We are encouraging people, though, to come. Go to these hearings. Make your voice heard. Uh, these hearings are going to be, well, the one is yesterday. The first one launched in Oak Creek. But on October 5th, they'll be in Rhinelander. October 8th, they'll be in Appleton. October 12th, Menominee. And October 26th, in Platteville. They are going to allow public to come, I believe. They're just oh, not going to nice. be able to testify. But it's important that the public go and listen and hear what these folks are offering, which is very little or a lot more of the same, which Robert laid out. And so, Robert, you mentioned WEDEC, right, in, in that we need to close this, this completely discredited agency. But there's a couple of other things beyond just WEDEC and, and sort of what WEDEC's taken on that we're proposing in, in this plan. Could you just let us know a little bit more about some of the other ideas? Well, one thing people, are, in opinion leaders, seem to not understand is, is that the main leverage WIDIC has, tax credits, are becoming irrelevant uh, because the manufacturing agricultural tax credit that Walker has put through, which is hideously expensive, it's going to be $285 million a year when fully implemented, and it's double currently what they projected, uh, removes taxation entirely from manufacturers, even if they're outsourcing, if they're creating no jobs here. It just matters whether there's profit here. And so, guess what? You don't qualify for any tax incentives for job creation. And these are, these are huge tax credit, take away all your taxes with no strings attached. If we repealed that, let's turn this around, which we obviously should do, we'd have half a billion dollars per biennium to invest in education, to invest in our tech colleges, our universities, uh, to actually have targeted economic development programs that actually increase more jobs, uh, their family supporting jobs for people who need them. And so when they say there's no money, yeah, there's no money because they gave it all away with no strings attached. And so doubt that comes up in these sham hearings. Uh, by the way, WEDEC is also uh, meeting. Uh, to, of course, that's private on their board, right? Uh, right before the first hearing in this uh, in this uh, listening tour, and the very modest proposals, reasonable proposals out of the audit that uh, Representative Peter Barca and Shadow Julie Lassa put forward, the only two Democrats on this, are not on the agenda. 
So we're not even going to try to make sure that we do background checks into people who uh, get these uh, get these grants, given these scandals around people who are essentially fraudsters who were in federal court for fraud getting uh, state economic development money. We're not going to take that up. We're not going to take up outsourcing. Uh, we're not going to take up actually making them track uh, job performance if we're going to give out money for jobs, allegedly. None of that. One other thing that's worth pointing out, Outsourcing is still occurring at WEDEC, and so they ought to take up Hansen's bill, right, and 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 support that to get rid of outsourcing but they at don't WEDEC. Want to. This is of not a, they this don't. is not a logistical administrative problem. This is that they think. In fact, it's in uh, Matt DeFore, uh, Matthew DeFore, the uh, Capitol Bureau uh, guy for the Wisconsin State Journal, has an article quoting the new head of WEDEC saying that it would be bad to take money away from outsourcing companies because it would kill their innovation as they bring in robotics and other automation that right. will help our economy. Yeah, no, I'm, and, uh, I'm glad Vine you brought that up. And Senator Kathleen Weinhout says uh, very tartly, which I like, she goes, they don't want, people don't want this, they need jobs. Yeah, no, <laughs> I'm, I, I, the reason I raised it is because I wanted to point out, once again, they're continuing to defend outsourcing. And remind you, when it was an election season, they bent over backwards last cycle, last August, I believe, to try to make it appear as if they were ending it. Now they're back to defending it. And so it's important that the public be aware of that. Obviously, we're going to continue to continue to track this and, and talk more about this as we go forward on the podcast. One other thing I wanted to briefly mention this week is um, related to the presidential race on the Democratic side, um, Hillary Clinton has started a huge push this week to get out front and really talk about defending the Affordable Care Act, expanding it, improving it, and a whole host of other things. And we already know Bernie Sanders is someone who had supported the Affordable Care Act and is, is out pushing for single payer. So we're really getting a massive push on the, on the Democratic side to not only defend the Affordable Care Act, but to look to make improvements to address some of the cost issues and other things that we're well aware of, which is an interesting dynamic because we really haven't had sort of a full-throated defense out of you know, a lot of sort of what I would describe as mainline Democratic candidates. And it's very clear that is going to be radically different this cycle. Well, I also think we haven't had a full-throated defense of any sort of policies, not just health care or stances yet, because we've been so enthralled watching the circus it is, that it is, is, it is fun watching the, the Trump. Republican uh, nomination contest. But, you know... Uh, Listen, I, I'm not exactly decided in this race right now on the Democratic side, but it's about time that Clinton stepped up and started to defend Obamacare and started to say how she is supportive of what, while flawed in many ways, was a great initiative that helped provide health care coverage for millions and millions of Americans. So um, thank you, Senator, and thank you, um, Senator Sanders, and for also being there and supporting healthcare expansion for Wisconsin or for Americans. Americans. Wow. Yeah, I'll just say it's a side. It's unfathomable why the DN Democratic National Committee thinks there shouldn't be Democratic debates. Right. Uh, but wow. uh, having said that, both uh, Hillary and Bernie are doing the right thing on healthcare. Uh, healthcare costs is going to be a big issue whether they make it one or not. And the Republican line is going to be it's all Obamacare's fault. Everything was great before Obamacare. And what they need to do is, and Hillary did a very good job this week taking on health insurance costs and, and the rates and accountability there and prescription drugs, which people Ooh, know yeah. are just getting people are just getting hammered by by big pharma. Uh, but talking about forward movement to say that because the public's tired of the attempt to repeal the Affordable Care Act, having a debate of five years ago over and over again. 
They do think there are things in the law that 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 either flawed or need improvement. We need to we need to point out that it was a great first step. In fact, we can never go back to the days when discrimination was legal. Okay, but then we have to move forward. And the reason we can't deal with cost is because of conservative sabotage, conservative uh, gridlock, preventing it at the state level and the national level. And so put it on them and let them say, oh, they think it's fine for pharma uh, to charge whatever they want to rate to, to, to $750 a pill. To have $750 a pill for a pill that costs them a dollar to produce, right, or less than that. So this is the right way to do it, and it's going to it's going to smoke out the Republicans as as those who are in bed with pharma, health insurance, and don't give a darn about average people struggling to afford health care, or give a darn about all the people who have health care that can't be taken away no matter what, unless the Republican president does that. So with that, we are going to move to the weekend furlough section. Jorna, yes, what are you doing this weekend? Well, I'm actually ex really excited about Friday night because I am going to the second annual Radio Milwaukee, which is the um, one of the local community radio stations here, uh, the Fall Ball, where they will be hosting um, celebrity karaoke uh -oh. with a live band. I am not one of the celebrities. Uh -oh. They did not ask me. I'm hoping next year. Um, but it is nonprofit leaders from around the city that will be competing to uh, win the celebrity karaoke contest, among other wonderful things that will happen tomorrow night. Well, it sounds like a lot of fun, Robert. What excitement is happening in your world this weekend? Easy. I've had no specific plans, Matt, other oh. than... Oh! What do you know? What do you know? <laughs> other than it is still summery, so when I hear it it's going to be clear this weekend, so... So he'll be riding. Maybe with I'll a take a long bike ride. Be riding and a beer. Maybe I'll see if my nephew Elijah, who's the most athletic of the three, wants to go on a long bike ride. But we'll see. He may have you, other exciting activities. You could walk the whole probably um, 500 feet to go to the new <laughs> beer garden in South Shore Park from your house. I went there Friday ah, for, ah. for my brother so Michael's fancy. 50th birthday, where we started the uh, pub crawl, unofficial pub crawl. Well, this is all very exciting, <laughs> and but it's not as exciting as my Friday night. Folks, Neil Hamburger's in town. It doesn't get any better than the comedy stylings of Neil Hamburger. And if you don't know who Neil Hamburger is, Google him now, grab yourself a cocktail, and enjoy. That's what I'll be doing this weekend, along with a little bit of uh, flat track racing. Our Ostalon season ender was rained out last week when uh, a monsoon hit uh, Friday night and washed out the track. But want to encourage folks, last weekend of racing here in Wisconsin, everyone from southeastern Wisconsin and Madison, you ought to be able to get out to Ostalon Saturday night or Sunday afternoon for a little flat track racing action. With that, we want to thank Brian Wooldridge making this podcast happen every week and of course we want to thank john nichols for taking the time to join us and give us his thoughts and we will see everybody here next week at the battleground wisconsin <laughs> <laughs>